0: Something that really helped me for a long time was this idea of a nighttime gratitude list. And I heard about this at a retreat where, you know, as I'm falling asleep, I just kind of go through my day from beginning to end. And I find a way to be grateful for everything that happened that day, even if it was something bad. Welcome to episode 39 of The Recovery Show. We are continuing our experiment with recording live. If you are online now, you will hear the raw and unedited form of this episode and will be able to interact with us live in the chat room. Check the website for the time of the next recording and join us then. This episode is brought to you by Brian. He used the donation basket button on our website. Thank you, Brian, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Do you find yourself often running low on sleep? Do you miss meals because you're too busy? Do you ever neglect your own basic needs in order to take care of someone else? Never. Well, then this is the episode for you, (laughs) because today's topic is self-care. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of self-care. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Kelly, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Spencer. How's it going, Spencer?
1: I'm doing well today. Thank you, Kelly.
0: Good, good. And next, Spencer, is special guest host, Jonah. Welcome to the studio, Jonah. How are you doing?
2: Thanks, Kelly. I'm glad to be here.
0: We're glad you're here. First segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic self-care. Following a musical break, we're going to talk about our lives in recovery and about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. And we'll follow that with a brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. And in the interest of the topic of self-care, Jonah found us a really great reading. It's from Courage to Change. It's uh, dated March 30th. When I heard that Al-Anon was a program in which we learn to keep the focus on ourselves, I wondered what others would think of me if I acted on that principle. Surely they would think me inconsiderate, thoughtless, and uncaring. Those were my complaints about the alcoholics in my life. I didn't want to be that way, too. Instead, I tried to do things for others that seemed loving and generous, even when I didn't want to do them. And I couldn't understand why I so often grew resentful after such actions. My efforts to be selfless by trying to please everyone but myself weren't working. The focus was on their response, rather than on what seemed right for me to do. There was nothing unconditional about this kind of giving. My sponsor helped me to see that if I paid more attention to myself and to doing what I thought was best, I would be free to give without strings attached. Then I could be truly generous we're just jumping right in there with that reading. (laughs) Um, you know, I think, uh, self care is a tough idea to define, but I think the reading sort of brings out this idea of sort of this black and white thinking, like either I'm in the mindset of doing things for others or I'm being completely selfish and uncaring. And, you know, I think before I came to the program, uh, I don't think I really had any sort of definition about self-care. I mean, I really was just so focused on everybody else in my life and making sure that everyone was comfortable, that nothing was upsetting, that all the pieces were in place, that everything looked right. Um, And I feel like those actions are really super time-consuming. It doesn't leave a lot of time left over to, uh, do things for myself. Um, I don't know if you guys can relate to that idea.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, before, you know, before I came into Al-Anon, um, my, I thought that my, um, my happiness, my sense of satisfaction, my sense of what I needed to do was totally tied up with the people around me. That if everybody around me was, if anybody around me was not happy, then it was my job to make them happy and that I couldn't be happy right. uh, until they were. And, and I know where I learned this behavior because my mother still exhibits it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and once I got into recovery, I could really, really see it in her uh, you know, before that, I thought that was just the way things are. That was right. the way you 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 worked in the world. And so, um, when I found myself found myself wow, how's that sound? Found myself <laughs> married to an alcoholic. I mean, I married this woman long before I knew anything about alcoholism, and long before she was really active in in her addiction, and. So, yeah, found myself married to an alcoholic and and I really wasn 't willing to admit to alcoholism uh, because it you know she didn 't fit my picture of what an alcoholic was. I was listening to an open talk uh, last night, and the woman's like no i, I couldn 't say I 'm an alcoholic because you know alcoholics there's those guy's down on skid row with a forty ouncer and a paper bag that are sleeping in the alley, and i was that was not me yet you know and uh, um and that was my image like no she 's not an alcoholic she 's got a job she 's got a house she 's you know, uh, well, I don't know if she was happy, but can't really speak to that, I guess. And, and, but, but I knew there was a problem and I knew, absolutely knew it was my job to fix that problem. <laughs> and it didn't really matter what the effect was on me. I had to fix that problem. And as I eventually learned, the problem was not mine to fix and it was not something I could fix. And so, um, how's the, the, the reading in, in, uh, how Elanon works, says something like, all our time is wasted on a hopeless endeavor mm. or all our energies or something. And that was me. That was me. I had no life. I was not taking care of myself beyond the, you know, eating and at least getting into bed every night and, and, theoretically sleeping, although a good portion of my night was often taken up with um, lying awake, fretting, uh, in anxiety and fear and despair and anger and all those wonderful, wonderful feelings. (laughs) 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 And I lost my life. I lost my life. And and so when I came into Al-Anon and people started talking about taking care of yourself, that was a new concept to me. It was, it was a surprise. It was, it was because it was not something that I had really ever, I mean, like I said, you know, you eat, you're supposed to exercise, you're supposed to do this, 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 whatever. But I wasn't really doing it from a motivation of, of being the healthy me, being the best me I could be. And I definitely had no concept of spiritual self-care at all.
2: Yeah, Spencer, I can really relate to pretty much everything you said. Um, first about just learning from a young age that it's your responsibility to take care of other people and that not only is it your responsibility, but that what that's what makes you a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, making sure that my mom was happy and safe and healthy, those things were my responsibility. Um, and I think that I developed this idea that uh, my self-worth was really wrapped up in both um, performing those actions and then also the success that I achieved from that. So, you know, if my mom was happy, then I was a really good kid. And if she wasn't happy, then, you know, I had done a bad job. And that's how I think this kind of martyr complex Mm -hmm. developed Mm -hmm. for me. And I know for, you know, develops for a lot of other people, um, so, yeah, you know, what the reading said, like people would think me inconsiderate, thoughtless, and uncaring, you know, if I didn't act in those ways, and it's only very recently that I've really started to understand that um it doesn't make me a martyr or- you know a really generous, kind, wonderful person to always be in everybody else's business. <laughs> actually, it's quite the opposite um and in terms of in terms of self care, I'm sitting here realizing, you know, before the program, to me, self care meant eating well, sleeping well, going to the gym. But it's almost like I did those things so that I could be my best self to take care of others, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is so <laughs> ironic. Um, but it wasn't so that I could be the very best self for me. It was so that I could fulfill this martyr role uh, where I was successfully taking care of other people.
0: hmm. I'm interested to know how both of you define the idea of self-care because, you know, I think we have, a, we have a note in here, which is something that we, that you guys actually already touched on. Does it mean just eating enough and sleeping enough? Um, and I think for me, the definition of self-care changes really on a daily basis. Um, it's really, Contingent. I mean, there's, there are some of those basic underlying things that you guys mentioned, you know, sleep, exercise, meetings, um, sponsorship, you know, some of those things that I feel like if I don't incorporate them daily, I definitely can feel the effects. You know, I can, I feel like I'm suffering. But I think there are, there are other things that for me change drastically daily depending on my current situation um you know i I have been traveling a lot for work and so the the sleep factor is more important because my days start earlier they end later um sometimes when i'm working from home i sneak a nap in in the middle of the day i can't (laughs) do that when i'm on the road um you know eating is tougher because uh you know sometimes i find myself in the middle of nowhere wisconsin where there isn't A healthy type of restaurant to pull off and eat at. So, you know, trying to, trying to balance the really awful for me lunch that I had with some kind of normal dinner. Um, but, but I also think there are, are things for me like prayer and meditation that, um, some, (laughs) some days I need to pray a lot more than others. Um, some days I wish I had meditated. And didn't and I know that I would have felt so much better if I had Um, I don't know do you guys feel like it's sort of a morphing daily changing kind of a thing
1: I think I think I want to talk about sort of how my concept of self-care evolved as I've been in the program Um, I came into the program what 11 years ago and the first thing that I heard people talking about was was just sort of doing things for yourself like what do you like to do um i remember uh, a friend talking about that she liked to go to movies and nobody else in her family was real wild about it and that she realized that she could go to movies by herself and enjoy them and and i was like wow you can do that <laughs> you know so just this this concept of of you know, sort of detaching from my uh, codependency and and just doing things for myself that that I wanted to do that sort of fed my emotional well being. Um, that was that was a new thing, and it took me longer. Um, it did, and it didn't. It I was going to say it took me longer to start working on my spiritual health, but one of the things that happened it almost. I think a little bit after I came into the program, I don't remember, it was almost exactly the same time, was I started going back to church. I had grown up um in a in a liberal religion, you know, which was not particularly when I was young focused on any concept of God, which turned out to be a problem for me when I got to step two and three, but that's a separate topic. And uh and I enjoyed it as a as a young person. Um, There was a lot of community there of teens that was really important to me. What that church did not do for me was teach me how to be an adult in the church. And so when I went off to college and I was no longer connected to the community of people that I had known, I, I stopped going. And I stopped going for almost 30 years. And in 2002 actually at the urging of my wife um I came back to the to the church here in Ann Arbor and almost immediately felt at home and felt that this was something that was feeding me in some way and I don't think I really knew what it was but it just it's sort of like when I came to a meeting and I was like wow you know this is a good thing for me when I went when I went into that Maybe not the first time I was there, but certainly very shortly afterwards, it was like this is something that that is important to me. So I really started feeding my spiritual health very early, although I don't think I saw it as that. I just saw it as as something that I had been missing, and when I found it, um, it filled some some sort of a, a hole in me. And, uh, and I don't think it was till quite a bit later that I really started thinking about it as you know thinking about practices. That kept me spiritually healthy, um, and you know, I I go I go back and forth on the on the physical practices—the eating, the sleeping, the exercising—that uh, some sometimes I do well at it. Um, I will say that sleeping got a lot better when I wasn't like anxious and fearful all the time. Right? Um, <laughs> Imagine that uh, when I was actually able to go to sleep instead of fretting for two hours and. Whatever or waking up at three in the morning and fretting for an hour and 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 having to get up and and do some reading and that that was something else that that you know I used to take care of myself was when I started in the program, I could pick up uh how Eleanor works and go to those stories in the back of the book, and I could you know this is three in the morning, I'm awake um I'm worried about you know my alcoholic uh, what is happening with her, is she ever gonna you know stop drinking and and you know whatever she did that day that pissed me off and, and just all these things going around in my head and I could pick up the book and I could read a story or I could read a couple of stories about people who faced you know, some situation with an alcoholic in their life and used the program to get through it and to find you know, serenity or recovery or happiness or whatever they found and 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 that would often that would calm me down. Um, it would bring me you know back to a little bit of center, a little bit of serenity, and I could get back to sleep for the rest of the night. Mm. Um, you were talking about taking a nap in the middle of the day. This is something you can do if you work at home. Well, <laughs> there are times when I sort of take an involuntary nap in the middle of the day. And,
2: you know, <laughs> or, at your desk. <laughs> I'm sitting
1: at my desk trying to read something on the computer, and I'll, I just find myself like. You know, whoa, nodding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and Kelly's seen my workplace, and it's this big open space, and you know, I'm amazed nobody has called me on it. <laughs> How about you, Jenna?
2: They're just waiting for the right moment.
1: What yeah. what, what what are your self care practices now?
2: Yeah, so I think what I hear you both saying is, you know, that self care changes for you over days, or over the years, or even over hours sometimes, and. Mm-hmm. Um, that's absolutely true for me. So some days taking care of myself might mean getting out of bed and some days maybe it means staying in bed for a little longer. Uh, some days it might mean seeing a friend and other days it might mean that I need time alone. So I think that uh, the activity, the the kind of self-care activities that I do need to change usually day to day. But I wish there was a formula, a self-care formula. Every day I wake up and I do you know, A, B, and C, and that's all I have to do. I don't have to think about it. And in some ways, that's true, right? We can kind of go on automatic with some things, like make sure I get enough sleep, make sure I eat well. Um, but, but I think that what's underneath all of that is getting in touch with what my needs are on a given day, mm-hmm. what my feelings are on a given day, and then re-evaluating over again how I need to meet those needs um and that is something that looks different every day which I think is why it's so difficult
0: I just want to mention Swetha if you're listening we in no way manipulated Jonah to talk about uh formulas that he did that all on his own (laughs) oh
1: yeah oh oh right yeah you since you're the virtual Swetha here I have to tell you Jonah there are no formulas
2: (laughs) (laughs) well guys I mean I'm I, I study statistics, so <laughs> you don't you don 't have to, you don't have to uh, control me in any way i mean i 'm going to talk about formulas wait that I miss you <laughs>
1: right uh, Ruth says she's, she was thinking that uh, she has more resources now she 's stronger, so she can um, provide whatever um, until she really hits the bottom. Maybe that was how she was, okay. Um, it often helps when I think of myself what would I suggest to a friend that I
2: care for? Mm then i can do that for me more and more often that's such mm-hmm. a good point ruth um, i i have to i have to utilize that all of the time for myself and which which i feel a little bit ashamed of but i think that it's it's a it's progress right and it's a journey so all of the time i think wow how would i respond to a friend or a family member in this situation and it's never the way i'm responding to myself i'm never being as compassionate or patient or caring as myself with myself as I would be with others.
1: Yeah, that's a really that's a really good idea, especially for those of us who, you know, are still in our codependency who, um, who sit in a meeting and listen to everybody share about what's going on in their lives and thinking, oh my god, I want to help you. Oh my god, I want to help you. Oh my god, <laughs> I want to help you. Oh my god, I want to help you. And I remember a meeting where where I didn't share early. And usually I share early so that then I I sit and listen without thinking about what I'm going to say, but. At this particular meeting, I, I don't know if I didn't have anything to say or whatever, but at the, uh, very near the end of the meeting, I said, you know, I know I belong here because I just want to fix all of your problems. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem when you get us all in a room together, right? Uh, right. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I mean, even
1: last night at the meeting, I was, I was thinking, wow, I could say something to you. I could say something to you. I could say something to you. Um, <laughs> And the person that I picked to say something to is a person that I sponsor, and so I felt that, that I actually had a, I don't know if right is the right word there, but uh, <laughs> um, an opening to, to say something about uh, you know, what that person had shared from the position of, of sponsorship. Uh, and that's how i dealt with that feeling last night.
2: <laughs> you know, it's interesting you say that because it's actually a really good opportunity for us to have to sit in meetings and not respond to people, right? Yeah. Because that's yep. that's a really difficult yep. thing. Yep. Yeah. And the and
1: the no crosstalk rule means that mm-hmm. when we share, we need to relate it to our own experience. And so it actually makes me take somebody else's problem and say how does that apply to me? And then when I do that, maybe I start thinking about well, what is the solution to that for me, rather than what is the solution for you? And I might still be motivated by saying, well, you know, maybe I faced this problem and this is what I did about it. Or wow, um, I have to think about that. You know, maybe I'm going to try this or that. And maybe, maybe my motivation is to, you know, sort of say to the other person, well, you could try this. But but I say it, I, you know, I point it back at me when I say it, and and that that helps me with this notion of. of I think maybe of of self care rather than than taking care of other people.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think you guys are bringing up a really important point that how much we practice self care really affects our interactions with others, and and not just the alcoholics in our life, but everybody—bosses, coworkers, oh, somebody at the grocery store, um, uh, someone, <laughs> someone. And I, I had a conversation with someone after a meeting the other day because. They had shared something in a meeting about how they were at a restaurant um, where you can purchase a a drink. They have like a fountain soda. You can purchase a drink or they'll give you like this little tiny cup to put water in. And that they had seen someone take the tiny water cup and then fill it up with soda and how she wanted to like go over and call this lady out (laughs) for like not following the rules. And um, instead she was exercising self-care by just, you know, allowing this woman to have her own consequences in her own time and, you know, stay in her hula hoop. But, um, you know, with be, before in the program, without self-care, that and I was laughing hysterically when she said it because that's something I would have done. I would have walked right up to that person and been like, I saw you do that. I'm going to go tell the manager. Or, oh, you know, Kelly, Kelly. anything, you know, people that don't follow traffic rules or that's a big mm, one for me range, I spend a lot of time range. in the car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um,
1: I have a neighbor. I have a new neighbor. And uh, I live on a one-way street. We live fairly near the end of the street. And twice now, I've been walking out of my door when he pulls into the driveway, having driven the short distance down the street the wrong way. uh Uh-oh. And both times, I have said, this is not my job to say anything to him. Um... You know, and, and his wife's going to be moving in soon, and, and maybe she'll be a little of a voice of reason out of my hope. I don't know.
2: <laughs> might have to have a little chat with her. Uh, that, I
1: <laughs> so I might be calling you and saying, Kelly, I really want to call my neighbor out on driving the wrong way on the street. Talk me down.
0: <laughs> Can I tell my neighbor's wife to tell him not to drive the wrong way down the street? <laughs> but out of my hoop. I know what your answer
1: is. <laughs> Your answer is prayer and meditation, right? (laughs) Do a fourth step.
0: Do a fourth step, yeah. (laughs) What's my real
1: motivation here? (laughs) Okay. Uh, You know, we have a comment from Barbara.
0: Yes. Barbara left a comment on the website, and she says, Self-care is so important. Many times we begin to practice it in faith and don't see much improvement at first, but it cultivates hope and it shifts the focus from the problem to the solution. Uh, People around us begin to notice the results, and their attitude towards us changes. I remember having a clear vision of my loved one struggling through life with a huge sack on his back, like like Santa Claus early on Christmas, barely able to take a single step. And where was I? I was climbing on top of this heavy load. So not only was he struggling with alcoholism, he had concerns about his mama too. I was not helping him by heaping guilt and worry on him about my mental and emotional state. The very best encouragement I could give him was to model respect for my own recovery. And the most visible way to do so is to practice self-care. And that's a great point, Barbara. Um, From your comments, I was thinking about, I have a young family member I've mentioned on the podcast before who is um, barely 21, and has had many, many legal consequences so far in their life as a result of, of drinking and drug use. And the family dynamic that surrounds this person is fascinating for me to watch because it doesn't just involve their immediate family, but it involves uh, my family and ex- other extended family members um, really get, get in the mix and... Um, and and what you were saying reminds me of this person's mother and and how they're reacting towards their use and and how they they feel like you should be able to control this why are you doing this to the family uh you know you're just you're just a bad person you know they're not helping the situation and i know that they think they are Mm -hmm. Um, but this is someone, uh, that, um, you know, I reached out to the other day and I sent them a long message. They know that I'm in recovery. Um, they've tried recovery. It's not really sticking. And I would imagine at that young of an age, it's gotta be hard to think, you know, that recovery is for you. So I, I get that, but, um, but I just reached out to them and, and let them know that, um, you know, I'm, I'm here for them. I'm here to listen. I will help. In any way that I feel comfortable, um, I will never judge their actions. I will never criticize anything that they do. And I'm, I'm proud of any accomplishments that they do make, you know, even if it's 30 days after 30 days after 30 days, you know, each time they relapse. And I know it doesn't fix the situation, but I feel like it's important for them to know, uh, you know, that there are different ways to address the situation of addiction, you know, that they aren't a bad person and that they are struggling and and that's okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I really appreciate your your comments. Barbara definitely hit home for me.
1: I think, you know, what Barbara had to say about what you were just commenting on about, about piling ourselves on top of the other person. Um, you know, I think about, um, I've, I've talked about, my son and, and his um, homeless living decision. And I think I talked a couple of weeks ago about how I realized that when I was living in my fear, when I was not, um, you know, taking care of myself to, to, to really, uh, you know, ask God to take it away and, and to be able to accept that he's not me, that his decisions are not mine and that his life is not mine. Um, when I was living in my fear and, and therefore sort of uh, had a wall between us that I was also not able to be there as a parent for him and if he had, um, you know, maybe he had concerns but he didn't feel he could express them to me. Right. And I was talking to my daughter about this just last weekend and, and she said, yeah, he, he did have concerns and and he brought them to her. Because they're twins, they're pretty close. Uh and uh, and she said, Yeah, he's I'm the person he can come cry on my shoulder. So I'm glad he has somebody. Um But I also feel like if I had been taking better care of myself, um maybe you know, maybe he wouldn't have needed that quite so much, or maybe he, you know. Um he, he's a pretty open guy, but uh clearly not as totally open. She said she said, I think he tells you guys things he doesn't tell me, and he tells me things he doesn't tell you. Mm. And that's, you know, that's appropriate. It really is. Um, you know, she doesn't hear about his, his uh, or she didn't hear as much about his drug use back when he was using um, as we did, apparently, which is really kind of weird to me. Yeah. But <laughs> that's who he is. Um, yeah, but the, the notion that taking care of ourselves then makes it possible for us to support the other people in our lives in appropriate ways, right. um, which might be taking care. Uh, it might be not taking care. It might be letting them you know, do what they're going to do. And actually, I think I want to play um, an excerpt from an Al-Anon Open Talk that I listened to recently that, that really struck me. Um, the woman, June... Uh, was talking about um, well in her talk, she talked a whole lot about all the enabling that she did um, for her children throughout many many years, and her denial that they, you know, had a real problem and 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 so on and so forth and and this incident that she's about to talk about uh, occurred after she had come into Al-Anon recovery and she still had one son who was out there, as we say, and one cold night he called her, said, Mama, I'm on the street. I'm cold. I need help. And um, this is what she did and how she reacted.
3: I picked him up off the street, and he was dirty. And we got in the car, and there were no promises. There was none of this. There were two people sitting there with their spirits literally dashed. By the disease of alcoholism and I took him and I didn't know if it was right or wrong but I took him to an old motel out on the east side of town and I paid his rent for two nights and I laid a $20 bill in the room and I left there and the next morning I got on a plane and went to Springfield and my heart was absolutely crushed and my my spirit was crushed and I remember looking out of that airplane and and saying Lord I never wanted to travel never in my wildest imagination did I ever ever of coming to places like this and speaking to people like you. This is not something I solicited. And Lord, I wonder why you're sending me. I'm physically sick, my heart is sick and I wonder why. And I got there that weekend and I I sat and I listened one more time especially to Tom because I've heard him many times. But something happened to me that weekend and I knew the answer. I knew that that was God's way of taking care of me. See, God sends me to places like this for me. Because I need to come here and listen to Marie and Peggy and Richard and Tom and, and be around all you people and watch you and watch the fun that we had this morning with the parade and Joe and everybody. I need to be around you kind of people. Because one more time, this hope rises up in my heart. And one more time, I'm restored. And I know that there is a miracle out there somewhere. My boy, just hang on. You know, I know it's there.
1: And, uh, you know, she also makes a point there that that sometimes we do things that maybe we don't know why we're doing them, um, but we're listening to our higher power, and we realize later that that we were taking care of ourselves, that our higher power was helping us take care of ourselves.
2: And the other thing that that she points out in that clip that's really important for me right now in my life is that part of self-care is sitting with your feelings and and recognizing that you might be in a really tough situation and being able to stay with that and process it and recognize it. You know, she says her hopes were dashed, her spirit was crushed, she was physically sick, um, and that's okay, right? And sometimes it's hard for me to remember that that's an okay thing, um, that I need to be in that space for a period of time and that things will get better from there and that even in that moment, things are probably okay. Um so that that was really helpful for me
0: I liked what I took away from from June's talk too is that when I'm practicing self care, I'm able to let go of the outcome much easier. you know she was able to to do what she could do to take care of him, and then she went off to this convention to take care of herself, you know yeah. to be of service and when I'm taking care of myself, you know I, it makes me think of of before the program where you know, when somebody that I was in a relationship with was out at the bar or doing God knows what, you know, I could spend hours just internalizing all these feelings and making myself sick about what they were doing and were they going to be okay and should I go get them. And, um, you know, and now I don't have to lose sleep because, because I can practice self-care you know, because I'm doing things that I know I need to do. And that I know if I spend time ruminating on all those things, it's not going to fix the situation anyway. And I'm just going to feel worse, you know, like, there will be no outcome. And I will be worse for for having done that. So yeah.
2: And one thing that Barbara pointed out early in her comment was that a lot of times we need to begin to practice self-care and faith and that we don't see much improvement at first, right? right? So maybe we're sitting there waiting for our loved one to come home from the bar and we're trying to meditate, we're trying, we're trying, we're trying, we're not feeling better, we're still feeling anxious, right And it, it doesn't feel like these steps that we're taking are getting us anywhere. Um, so we do have to practice them in faith because over time, they do help. Um, but they don't always feel helpful or even good at first.
1: Well, that's for sure
0: I agree I th- I feel like progress not perfection is really important when it comes to self-care because you know I had a note in here from earlier this week that part of the way that I define self-care is doing things that are counterintuitive mm. because a, you know a lot of like you were saying Jonah you know being taught from an early age that taking care of others is should be the first priority you know I don't think about taking care of myself it's not natural for that to come first and so i really had to practice a lot of those things and sometimes saying no to somebody in the interest of you know go, going to meditation or going to a yoga class or you know sacrificing something that maybe my alcoholic asked me to do or needed me to do because i needed to take care of myself first
1: mm-hmm. you know jonah i think it was you earlier um talked about taking care of ourselves or maybe it was in Barbara's reading I don't know, taking care of ourselves makes it, um, makes us able to better interact with other people. And, you know, I thought about an incident that happened recently at work where I was stressed out about a number of things that were, that were going on. Um, just, you know, sort of day to day stuff. Um, had to get new tires on one car, and then um, the other car needed an emergency brake job that cost hundreds of dollars. And um, I was, work was being stressful. Work is continuing to be very busy. And if I'm really not careful, it can be extremely stressful. And I was about to take my daughter back to college, so we were you know, sort of contemplating saying goodbye there and just a whole bunch of stuff, little, you know, individual things. And, and because of all this, I was, you know, I didn't stop to take time to take more care because all this stuff was happening. So I came into work and I went into a meeting and a colleague asked me how we were going to, Accomplish something that was of concern to her, and I gave her my answer. She wasn't happy with my answer. I tried to give her a a better answer, and then because I was in a little bit of a wonky place, I said, "Is that clear enough for you?" And she looked straight at me and she said, "Actually, no, it's not." <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and she then proceeded to ask her question a little bit differently, and I said, "Oh, okay. Well, I have a, I have a different answer to that question, which turned out to be what she wanted." Um, so, sort of the the sad part of that exchange is that that you know me being a little out of line actually got to the place that we needed to get to. But that's um, <laughs>
2: the moral of the story, and <laughs> that is the
1: anti-moral of the story. <laughs> I think I think we could have gotten there in a, in a much better way um, that afternoon. I got a little note from my boss said, hey, can I talk to you before you leave this afternoon? And uh, and I ran into him a little while later. He said, let's let's go in this conference room over here and talk Uh-oh. about it. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> let's go in here and close the door. Yikes. Uh, Fear. I was like, okay, this is just not about something I need to do, is it? And, uh, I mean, I didn't say that, but that was in my head. And, and we sat down and I love this guy. He said, are you under a lot of pressure lately? Are you feeling under a lot of pressure today? Because, you know, what happened this morning was 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 out of line and, and and unusual. And, you know, so we talked about that. And, you know, he recognized, he recognized that I needed to take better care and that maybe taking better care would be asking for help at work. Mm. You know, recognizing that I really am, Trying to take on more than I can reasonably accomplish, and and saying, you know, if I if if you need some help from me, if you need me to do something, let me know, and I really appreciated that. And the other thing that I appreciated, and I think I probably mentioned this last week, but that after having that conversation with my boss, I realized that I needed to do a ten-step amend with uh, my coworker. Mm-hmm. And so when she came back into the office a little later, I went over and I said, I need to apologize for, uh, you know, the way I spoke to you this morning. And she said, thank you. And then she she looked at me and she said, we need to work out a better way to communicate. Mm -hmm. Because this is not the first time that I've had this kind of frustrating interaction, that we have had this kind of frustrating interaction. I think it frustrates both of us. And... That was the program working in my life, that I did, this, I did this thing that, you know, I was wrong and I needed to promptly admit it and make amends, and that, that both of the people who came to me or who were involved came back with not anger, not rejection, but what can we do to make this better? It was it was it was a, a, a. I just looked at her and I thought, "Wow, is she in a program?" <laughs> you know, like, wow. Um, we have not had that conversation yet. Um, I think I think I want to, you know, get together with her over a cup of coffee or something, maybe outside the office, and have that conversation. And I do want to have that conversation because we do need to figure out how to work together better. Hmm. Uh, but you know, that's some care, and and that and that also is what happens when I'm not. Doing a good job taking care of myself is I do, uh, I do get into that craziness. I get into some of that that old controlling um, behavior that uh, that I used to do so much of.
2: Your your boss also brings up a great point, which is when do we need to ask for help? Yeah, right. And yeah. when is it self care to ask for help? Um, and that is really challenging. <laughs> um, I I know that in the last. In the last two months or so, when I've been struggling in my life, I have started to ask for a lot more help. And something that the program has done is, is really make that possible, um, not just because the program encourages us to ask for help, but also because it just creates a space that is safe uh, in which to do that. Mm-hmm. And you know that the other people want you to ask for help, expect you to ask for help, benefit from you asking for help, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's been, that's been something that has changed very quickly in my life in the last couple of months. Um, and and the response is astounding, right? The the way that, you know, Spencer, what you're saying about this is the program working in your life when you have these wonderful interactions with your boss and your coworker that stemmed from something that was not so good. Uh, I've been so, um what's the word, just uh, really, just really blessed and also um, really humbled by the way that people have responded to me when I've asked for help. And, you know, I'm I'm learning what an important part of self-care that is for me.
0: Mm. You know, Spencer, as you were talking, I was just looking over our list of topic questions mm-hmm. and there's one I don't know who snuck this in here but I feel like it's a trick question that says probably Swetha. yeah <laughs> so. she's just messing with it, us because she's at not here. Seven here yeah
1: yeah that sounds like a Swetha question it absolutely does
0: so it says now that you're in the program and working on self-care does that mean your self-care always comes first no matter what the needs of the other person are and I feel like that was what Your story was, you know, like you, you were not putting your needs first in, in that work situation. And, um, even though you practice great self-care, you know, that we're,
1: we're,
0: we're bound to slip sometimes and. Um, you know, I I have been traveling a lot for work and I had a situation like this come up recently. And I, what I think is interesting is how opposite sometimes our reactions can be. Um, Spencer, I know that you said a lot of times your gut reaction is to like lash out and um you know, I had been I had decided to save money on my trip by staying with a coworker. And um I had planned to stay four nights at her place with her husband and her and (laughs) (laughs) not just with her husband. Yikes. That's a totally different topic. Um, But (laughs) what, what I had blocked out and not realized until uh, I got there was that both of them come from alcoholic families. Neither of this couple is in recovery and you know, a lot of the the interactions between them and between them and me were really triggering. You know, I, I, I forget that I'm still affected by those things until I'm in the situation. And then I'm like, oh, man, that's what that feels like. I forgot what that feels like. And, you know, as I was mentioning at a meeting last night, like, I'm not really good at practicing self-care in those situations because my default reaction is not to lash out and get angry but to sort of cower in the corner and just do just do whatever everybody else wants to do whatever's going to keep things smooth and calm and I don't want to rock the boat and so as a result I did not make time to go to a meeting during that time I had very little time to myself and I ended up staying a fifth night because I was asked to, she, you know, she was enjoying our company my company and, and wanted me to stay an additional night. And I did, even though I knew that I needed space, I needed to be by myself, I needed to just get away from that situation that was really, you know, making me feel triggered. And, and I didn't do it. <laughs> you know, and this is I mean, I've been in the program seven years now. So I've, I, I'm feeling like, I shouldn't still get sucked into that, but you know when I'm in that vulnerable state and I haven't been to a meeting in a minute and I'm not making time for prayer and meditation, it, it's like I forget everything that I've learned over the past couple years and I just get sucked right back into it. So so the the answer to that question for me is no. <laughs> Self-care does not always come first. <laughs>
1: clearly in 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 practice that's that's true huh yes yeah, yeah, yeah I think my self care routines can definitely get upended by events um and there are like when I'm visiting my parents, I have come to know that if I'm there for more than a couple of days, um I need some program uh, there's no alcoholism there, uh, but of codependency, and uh and so when, when I'm visiting there, I, they know I'm gonna take off in the middle of the day, one of those days, and I'm gonna to go to a, a meeting. Uh, and uh, that's just the way it is. That is what I have to do when I'm there.
2: I, I read this question a little bit differently. It's interesting. To me, I heard, uh, now that you're in a program and working on self-care, does that mean that your self-care should always come first? no matter what the needs of the other person are. Mm. Um, so it, no, it definitely doesn't come first all of the time. That's that's an, a work in progress. But should it always come first? And what I was thinking was that getting what I want doesn't always come first. But my self-care does always need to come first, right? Mm. So a situation may not turn out the way that I want it to or a, somebody else's decision may not be what I want it to be. Um, but given whatever hand I am dealt, my self-care does need to come first. Um, and that's hard. That's hard when so much of who I think I am is wrapped up in somebody else's needs. Um, so I think it's an everyday practice.
0: You know, I think too, on that note, Jonah, I, I also had a note here about the idea of, um, about rewards for my bad behavior and you know sometimes I, I i think we we talk in meetings about questioning the idea of we talked about this last night why why do we consciously choose to not do things that we know are going to make ourselves feel better or that we know are going to be good for us
1: <laughs> like going to a meeting
0: like yeah like going to a meeting like meditation, like any anything sleeping um and I, th- I think, you know, the, the first thought is that we're, ju- we're just sacrificing something good to feel bad, but, but I don't always feel bad when I'm choosing th- the
2: quote-unquote wrong path. You might, in fact, feel much better right away.
0: Right, you know? yeah. It's an instant gratification because I can see that I'm making the other person happy through what I'm doing. You know, that I, I, I picked up the rope and I gave them what they were looking for. And so then I get the pat on the head, you know, like, ah, right, good job. You did what I wanted you to do, (laughs) like Pavlov's dog, you know. And so in that sense, I feel like I'm not, I'm not, I'm sacrificing long-term good feeling for the the short-term gratification. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where we are on time.
1: Well, I know we've got another email here.
0: Oh, yes. you want to read that, Spencer?
1: Sure. Cecily wrote, Hi, recovery show friends. I'm using the podcast every day as part of my self care routine. It really helps me maintain my serenity and keep my mental chatter from derailing my progress in recovery. My favorite episode is forcing solutions as it reminds me to keep my attention on myself and my own issues. I think I've listened to it at least 30 times, which is probably telling where I am at my life, where I'm, where I am at in my life. Lol. P.S. I'm grateful for every new episode. Thank you all, Cecily. And, you know, I think that brings up an interesting question that actually doesn't appear to be on our list, which is what do we do? What, is our, what are our practices that we do or that we're trying to do for self-care? And uh, one of the practices that that I asked my, my sponsor for help with was uh, developing a spiritual practice. A, a regular spiritual practice that's more than, you know, once a week go to church or whatever, and several times a week go to meetings, because I do view that as sort of spiritual, too. And um, so she gave me the the assignment that she gives to many of her sponsees, which is to um, say a prayer, and she suggests third and seventh step prayer, because she says that covers it, you know, free me from the bondage of, of self and... um you know, take away my defects so that I may be a service to others. That kind of covers the spectrum from mm-hmm. one end to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then text to her, say I prayed and add a gratitude. And so I was looking back over uh, my text logs uh, back to the day when when I had this meltdown in the meeting, and uh, and I texted late in the day. I said prayed this morning, so I, apparently I did the prayers in the morning, but. I I, I must've needed more. (laughs) Um, and, and then just now grateful. So it took me to five in the afternoon to find a gratitude, just now grateful that I can do step 10 when I need to. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I find that, that when, when I'm able to take that little, even that little bit of time to, to focus on prayer and, um, and 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 gratitude what am i grateful for today you know it it sets the day sort of starting off on a on a good note uh, at least on a better note and uh, and i had oh yeah so one of my friends says to me sometimes he says you know prayer doesn't change god prayer changes me and and i really like that because it makes it clear to me that the point of praying is not that I'm asking God or that I'm praising God. The point of praying is to change myself, to bring me into um, better alignment with the person that I want to be. um, And to bring, to bring me back into uh, a center, I really didn't have any concept of um, before I came here, this notion of center. And, you know, I was going to save this for the uh, for the for our week section, but it actually fits here, I think. Um was listening again to a, a sermon that um, our minister gave, and I think it was the day after we did the Juggling and Balance show, and she was talking about how we can live in uncertainty but she talked about this physical experience she had that to me also talks about balance and center, which is she and her partner took the train from Ann Arbor, Michigan to Santa Barbara, California, which takes about three days. Wow. Uh, con- yeah, she said this was my idea. You know, don't blame her partner for this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and was sort of the tone of voice like, and and what was I thinking? <laughs> but, um, and she talked about you know, so you're on a train and you have to go from here to there, you have to go to the dining car, you have to go wherever you have to go to, and and the train's moving, and it's sort of jerking from side to side as trains do, and, and she said when she started out, she was sort of desperately grabbing onto anything nearby as she was moving to try to control her motion to resist the motion of the train. Mm. And over the course of the three days, she said she came into a different way of being mm. where... She sort of broadened her stance and moved with the train, accepted the motion of the train, um, and was able to respond to it rather than react to it. Uh, And she said, you know, I never got good, but I did get proficient. And, and, And as I was listening to that, I thought, that is a beautiful example to me of how having balance, having center, um, you know, I had a little bit of martial arts and, and they talk about, you know, the, the, the ready stance that you're there, you're centered, your center of gravity is right over your feet, you're ready to move in any direction. And, and that to me is what spiritual balance gives to me and what a spiritual practice gives to me to take care of myself so that whatever comes at me, I can respond to it from a position of balance, I can respond to it from a position of center and I don't have to get buffeted around from side to side. And, and, you know, going back to the train picture, you know, maybe falling into the, the seat of somebody who's next to the aisle when the, when the train makes a particularly violent jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a
2: wonderful metaphor.
1: Mm-hmm. So, uh, so part of my practice is designed, has to be designed to keep me on center spiritually and emotionally. And that's what prayer and meditation can do for me. And I'm still working on the meditation part. Uh, but the, the prayer part, I see it working because the days when I forget to do it in the morning, things just don't go as smoothly. And maybe I can catch myself in the middle of the day and say, Oh man, I got to pray. Um, cause I haven't texted to Lynn yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and you know, I'm trying to work on the physical also. And, uh, and again, it's about, you know, for me, it's not so much. I like. I want to make my body stronger, bulkier. You know, whatever. It's that that I need my center to be well, my center to be strong, um, so that I can meet
2: whatever physical challenges come my way. Hmm. So, what do I do for self care? I think that was the question. Yeah, I went off for me a little bit. Um, that was that was an excellent <laughs> tangent. I th- okay. So, like I was saying, I think this morphs a lot for me right now. I think there are three things that I'm really working at. One is creating a regular schedule for myself. Um, I'm writing my dissertation right now. So I am really, I have very little structure in my days. That's been very difficult as I've been in this period of crisis over the last two months. And it has meant that if I don't, do any dissertation writing for eight weeks? Nobody really knows, <laughs> and that's a very good thing and also a very bad thing. Except you, except me, except you and, you and how does that make you feel? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in the last couple of weeks, after really taking a couple of weeks off, I've been getting back to a regular routine, and you know, getting up, meeting somebody in the mornings to work, and just. Um, really, being a lot more productive, and that has been critical for my self care not just because I want to graduate sometime in the next ten years, uh, but also because um, because I feel good about myself, I feel productive, I feel accomplished, um, and I enjoy what i 'm doing so you know it 's good for me to focus on that. The other two things that i 've been really working on are developing more of a meditation practice i have meditated with both of you in the last Mm -hmm. couple of weeks and it's been wonderful. It's really, um, I always, I was always one of those people that said, oh, I want to meditate more, but I I really do want to meditate more, (laughs) especially now, now that I have experienced some of the benefits of it. Um, I I know that it's really something that I need to do more regularly. And the last thing is, uh, working on accepting reality, which is, Mm -hmm. A really important part of self care for me, especially lately. Uh, there's this one of the reminders encouraged to change. It's on from August 19th. It says, "Today I make a commitment to be honest with myself. By facing reality, I become someone I can depend upon." That really hit me very hard when I first read it, and and yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do in, in a in a moment when I'm feeling that, you know, everything is kind of upside down or things are unstable, I can remember that by facing reality, I can depend on myself um, and of course on my higher power. So being in touch with reality is uh, the, the third part of self care that I'm practicing right now.
0: I liked that you brought up the idea of the work life balance um again being being self-employed that's something that i have it's taken me years to get to a good place with that because um you know as i've mentioned before on the podcast my my pay essentially increases as the amount of work that i do increases and um you know i like rewards so it would it's really easy for me to get sucked into working Twelve hours a day, just because I want that reward at the end, but again it, it's kind of that um that short term reward because in the long term, I end up being exhausted and I end up being resentful because I didn't get to do anything fun because I spent my whole day working and sleeping um so so it's been a while of of really working on that balance um, and and putting away work at whatever time I commit to that day, not looking at it. But, when I am looking at it, being totally focused on it, you know so that's that's definitely been a self care piece for me. Um, exercise has been really huge, and I've kind of gone in waves with that over through throughout my life but um so I have a chronic illness that's really affected by my stress level, and when I don't manage my stress level. I don't feel well and i can't function and that affects everything else in my day and so even if it means starting work a little bit later than i anticipated every day you know it's really important for me to get that exercise in because just like you guys have talked about you know the prayer and the meditation doing those things at the beginning of the day really sets the tone for the whole day and um so that's another piece for me too, because not only it affects my physical well-being as well as my emotional and mental well-being. Um, and also um, the the third and seventh step prayer, definitely super crucial. And I also, I've gotten away from it recently, but um, something that really helped me for a long time was uh, this idea of a nighttime gratitude list. And I heard about this at a retreat where you know, as I'm falling asleep, I just kind of go through my day from beginning to end, and I find a way to be grateful for everything that happened that day, even if it was something bad, even if <laughs> making a Sorry, really funny a face. face.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Sounds really hard. <laughs>
0: even if it's something I didn't like, I didn't want to do a, a fight or a negative interaction with somebody you know finding a way to be grateful for that interaction and and figure out what could i take away from it oh wow and um that sounds hard <laughs> it it is kind of difficult but it's same th- i mean meditation is difficult too but there you know the benefits that come from it are really great and i feel like it allows me it doesn't change anything for that day but i feel like it sort of sets me up for the future that if i if i have an encounter like that again i sort of have this mental bookmark to go back to that, like, oh, yeah, the last time that happened, I remember I was able to look at it in this positive light this way, you know, Mm. sort of changes the way that I interact Mm. with the people around me. And so that's that's really helpful, too. So I'm going to close up the discussion with the reminder from the Courage to Change reading, which, again, is March 30th. And it says, The Al-Anon program works when I keep the focus on myself attend lots of Al-Anon meetings, and make recovery my top priority. As I become more fully myself, I'm better able to treat others with love and respect. Ain't that the truth? After a short break, we'll be back with Our Lives in Recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. And our first song selection today is called Learning to Fly by Kate Earle. And we have some of the lyrics here, um... I no longer hide, so I let the sun wash over me because there's no darkness left to hold me down, and I feel its light now. I found the spark that was missing in my life. I think that's sort of a great um, metaphor for how much better we feel when we're taking care of ourselves, so enjoy.
3: I've made mistakes, but I won't be ashamed. It feels like fate is lifting me. I can't seem to keep my feet on the ground. No longer hide So I let the sun wash over me Cause there's no darkness left to hold me down And I feel it's like
0: In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I think I'm going to start us off today. I've, I kind of have a short week because I didn't really, (laughs) I only made it to one meeting this week. So, um, so I did go to a meeting last night. I just, I kind of rolled into town and headed straight there. So the topic of the meeting we we have a rotating format and the fifth week if there's a fifth week of the month is where you are in your program. And we all sort of seem to dread this topic because especially if it's a, a well for for a period there was a while we all dreaded it because we were all stuck on the same step and weren't moving. So it would be like 6 months later and you'd be like, yeah, I'm still on <laughs> step 9. Um but you know this week was really interesting. I I feel like a lot there was a lot more sharing just about sort of personal struggle with, you know, more basic concepts. And, um, I don't know. I can never tell if it's the, if it's the mood of the meeting or if it's just because I've been gone for a while, but I felt like last night's meeting was really like rough, you know, like kind of not bad, but just like more emotional than normal. I don't know. I don't know if that's just me, but, um, something that I a moment that I found interesting and bear with me you guys because I was really exhausted so um I probably have a skewed perspective on the meeting but um this gentleman wandered in kind of you know I don't know maybe 15 minutes or so after we had started and um was talking to somebody and then he ended up sitting down and um and then he ended up sharing later in the meeting that he was in the wrong meeting he was supposed to have been finding an AA meeting that was in the basement of the church. And he wandered into ours and, and just ended up joining us. And, and he did share about what things were like for him. And he sounds like he's pretty new in recovery. And I, I just thought it was really interesting because I know myself, I know that in the beginning of the program, I would have been really annoyed. Like, how dare this alcoholic wander into our meeting, not know where he's going. How can we can't figure this out? You know, like I would have been really bothered and last night I was really able to look at it from sort of a higher power moment perspective like you know he was he was meant to be there and a lot of <clears throat> excuse me a lot of what he shared was um was really personal I felt like were things that everybody in the room could relate to you know he wasn't he wasn't giving us a drunk log he wasn't going on and on it was it it really was a moment where you know i feel like he was meant to be there and and we were meant to hear what he had to say and so so it was a really great meeting um i in lieu of, some of missing meetings this week uh, i've been listening to some podcasts i listened to an episode of the recovery show that i was not on um it was an episode <laughs> on self esteem and self acceptance with uh spencer swetha and erica And it was a really, really great episode. Um, You know, as many of you know, I don't really like to listen to, I don't like the sound of my own voice, and so I don't listen to the episodes that I'm in, so it's rare that I can listen to our show. Um, And then I also listened to an episode of Recovered, which is our sister podcast, Um, and the topic was hitting bottom, and... You know, um, Mark, the host, was kind of making fun of me because I had sort of been digging back into these past episodes because really I've listened to most of the the current ones. And I didn't really choose it on purpose, but just just happened to pick that one and download it and initially started thinking like, I don't know if this is going to make sense to me, but um, but I could really relate to a lot of what was said about about that um, topic. And I think Spencer was on that episode also, so it was nice to have the al perspective There And then, um, uh, about a week and a half ago, maybe I, um, Jonah actually invited me to this, um, facility where they offer once weekly, a free guided meditation practice thing. It's like an hour long and, um, was really intimidated going into it because although I have tried meditation and and had some experience in practicing meditation, um, the thought of so it was broken into two twenty-minute segments, and I was just thinking, man, that's a long time to just be silent and try to block out all the crazy thoughts that go through my head. Um, but it was really, really great. It was. Um, I try not to have any expectations going into it, um, and. It was a great experience. They had these awesome, comfortable pillows and everything that they provided for you. And the guy giving the meditation, I felt like he didn't take himself too seriously. You know, sometimes those people are like really strict and they really want you to sort of do it their way or they, they want you to feel a certain thing. And he was just really sort of ambiguous about go with your thoughts and, and go with what happens. And I was really surprised at how quickly both of the 20-minute segments went. I, I didn't know that I was capable of sitting still for that long a period of time. And I really think part of it is the accountability of the others in the room. You know, if I tried to sit in my house for 20 minutes and meditate, there's so many distractions and it would be really easy for me to give up after a short period of time. So, so that was a really great experience. And I'm looking forward to once I'm done traveling and, and home for an extended period of time going back there and um, having that experience again. So that was kind of my week in recovery. Um, Spencer?
1: Okay. Yeah, my week. Well, so uh, this Thursday, um, I went to the meditation with Jonah because I'd heard about it and, and uh, thought, hey, you know, I should try that out. Because that is something I keep trying to bring into my life and it and don't Succeed over any period of time, and one of the things that was really important for me during the during the guided meditation, uh, it was a a mindfulness meditation focusing on breath. At least that was the way she guided it, and that, I've done that before, so that was it was sort of an easy thing to get into, and and she sort of started out guiding us into feeling where we were, hearing what was around us, and then starting to focus on the breath. And then, you know, we'd be quiet for a while, and then she'd say, and bringing yourself back to your breath, and if you've been somewhere else, that's okay. Just gently bring yourself back. And that sort of repeated assurance that, even though my mind kept wandering off, it kept getting caught by these thoughts that were passing by and following them, down some rabbit hole that it was okay that it was just part of the process and that I didn't have to kick myself I didn't have to feel that I was doing it wrong that just when I noticed that I was going off to bring myself back and at last night's meeting and I thought last night's meeting had some really really good sharing in it. Um I think I I hear what you say Kelly about it being rough because a lot of people were being honest about the difficulties that they were having mm. in their program. I think you know I think the first person who shared maybe started that pattern and then I think I came next and I talked about things I was struggling with. And and, and I don't know if that set a tone or if that's just where people were mm. talking about well, you know I'm supposed to be on step six, but I'm really struggling with this entirely ready to have all my defects removed. And who is this God person anyway? <laughs> and you know, that sort of thing. And, and there were actually, I think there were like three or four people who shared about difficulty with step six, which, um, you know, that gets one paragraph in the big book. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how do we get so stuck on it? But we do, uh, because, we're, because all, we're, perfectionists. because yeah. we're perfectionists and that all and entirely just grabs us and won't let us go. <laughs> um, and I kept I, I find myself going back to that experience of the night before, that experience of you know that I'm I'm supposed to be okay, so I'm gonna put this in in old language. I'm supposed to be focusing on my breath. And when I go off somewhere else, I'm doing it wrong. And that is the way that is a lot of what I heard a number of people sharing like i'm supposed to be doing this step i don't feel like doing it right now mm-hmm. i and and therefore i'm doing it wrong and you know maybe that says something about where my head was more than where their heads are i don't know because sometimes we don't hear exactly what people say in their words but but i i thought about that experience that yeah your mind will wander that's natural mm-hmm. and and when you remember where you are and where you where you want to be focused, just bring your focus back and and don't feel that you're wrong. And 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 I thought, wow, you know, if I apply that to working my program, if I feel like, well I really ought to be making my amends faster. I really ought to be making more amends. I ought to be making my amends more effectively. <laughs> I ought to be making direct amends instead of wimping out and making living amends to the people that I am just not ready to face, and 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 you know, wimping I mean, out. These are things that <laughs> these are, are things tough. that go in my head sometimes, you know, and and just pause and just pause and say no. This is where I am. This is what I can be doing, and let's just come back to the next thing that I can do and and not be stressing about the things that i'm not ready to do yet and uh, you know i felt like it would it it can make my program easier and more effective um if if i can apply that same just come back just come back thing that that uh was so central for me in that meditation experience that permission to wander and reminder to refocus. So, um, I think that I think I'll stop there.
2: That's a great uh, transition into my week, which was a lot about just taking the next right step. Um, at the meeting last night, somebody shared, um, I don't know, a quote or uh, maybe a meditation, and it says. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Um, and everybody, everybody was really kind of wowed by this concept, including me. Um, I shared last night at the meeting that I had been feeling not ready to do a lot of things, not ready to uh, do step six, not ready to um, go through stuff in my personal life right now, which includes separating from my wife and moving my stuff out of the house and signing divorce papers, all of these things that um, I don't feel ready to do. And the program reminds me that all I have to do is take the next right step. Um, And when I don't know what that is, then I can wait and I can sit on it and I can pray and I don't have to rush into anything. And that sitting with that in that stillness or that uncertainty is, Feels near impossible sometimes, which is why I've been trying to go to meditation. <laughs> because you know it's really interesting sitting in meditation, and I, I can I can see and feel how I'm training myself, right? Training my mind and my body and my my center. When something itches or I feel uncomfortable and I want to move, or you know I, I hear or I start to get distracted and I try to bring my mind back. Those are the same skills that I will use, that I can use later on when I'm sitting waiting for my loved one to come home from the bar feeling really anxious, right? Or um, I'm really worried about how a conversation is going to go or whatever it is, whatever, whatever one of the million things that I worry about. Um, I can just sit with that and then I can let it go. And I don't have to scratch my arm (laughs) you know even though it starts to burn and I feel like if I don't do it right in that second I'm gonna die (laughs) um you know I don't actually have to do that the other thing that happened this week is that I was at a meeting where the lead was given by uh, a gentleman in the program and uh, his wife is also in the program and so is his son and they were all at the meeting together and um at some point in the meeting, after he had given the lead, she shared, and then the son also shared. And it was, I, I just felt really inspired by it. Like, look at this family in recovery. You know, they are all working such a good program. And it's not that they haven't struggled, and it's not that they don't continue to struggle, but they are all there, you know, speaking the same language, deepening their spiritual practices. And had this vision of you know bring dragging my family to meetings one day um, because i 'm sure they're going to need them, and just yeah just feeling really very hopeful watching this family um, mm-hmm. so I really appreciated that
1: and and when something you said um earlier reminded me of uh, of one more thing and uh, and last night at the meeting um, I had some fear about something that I felt I should do, and I didn't want to. Um, and we had a, a couple of young people come into the meeting, and oh. I saw them, and I thought, "Hey, these people look like they're new here." And so, being a you know good welcoming member, I went over and said, "Hey, are you new here?" And they said, "Well, we're we're medical students, and we're here to observe." And I said, "Well, welcome." And we have talked in the past at the meeting about... I think there was one time somebody asked if they could come observe. And we had a group conscience about it and decided no. And so I felt like I sort of knew what the, the decision of the meeting was about having people who are not really there for themselves in the meeting. But I'm confrontation avoidant. <laughs> As we've said,
2: I'm a team avoidance here with Kelly. Except when people take soda out of the machines and they're supposed to be taking water. Oh no! 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 You confront them. No! No! You confront them. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Um.
1: So I sat with it for a while, and I sat in discomfort for a while, and I sat in unwillingness to say anything to them for a while, and then I went over um, to Kelly and and said, "Hey, you know, we're kind of like the longtime people in this meeting. What do you think about this situation?" And we talked about it, and we agreed that we should say something. I wasn't ready to be the person who said that um and but as as we talked, I don't know something flipped, something flipped, and i mean may, maybe I said my prayer, I don't know maybe my 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 fear said its prayers because i said no i'll I'll just go say. Um, you know, this really is not an open meeting, and you're welcome to stay here for yourself. Uh, but what you hear here has to stay here. And then I went and did that. And as is often the case when I'm facing a fear, it turned out not to be as hard as I was afraid it was going to be.
0: <laughs> and they they did not react negatively. I mean, it's not like they no. like threw something at you or yelled. Nope, or...
1: nope, 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 <laughs> nope. <laughs> so anyway, I I just wanted to talk about that. You were talking about fear.
0: All right. So, our topic next week is going to be step nine. And we definitely welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about step nine, which is made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And um, we have some, some questions here to kind of get you started. Um, did you avoid starting to work on the steps because of your fear of step nine? Are you not excited about the idea of having to make up for your past actions? Do you fear making an amends because of potential consequences? If so, then join us next week for step nine. And Spencer, how can people send us feedback?
1: Hey, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can do it right now. Pause the podcast. We'll still be here when you come back and join the conversation. Call us at 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at show.com. That's feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of self-care or next week's topic of Step 9. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Jonah, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show?
2: Our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of Al-Anon Open Talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. There are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website. You can leave comments on the blog or take a look at our suggested topic list. If you see a topic you'd like covered, leave a comment there to vote it up. If you don't see the topic you're interested in, let us know and we'll get right on it. We're always looking for music suggestions and have a page with just a few we've received so far under Topic Ideas, on the menu at the top of the website. If you're inspired or ambitious, think about contributing a guest meditation or a meditation prompt, usually a quote or a song lyric. If you would like the meditations emailed to you daily, click on the email button at the top right corner of the page to sign up. Just hop on over to Recoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Do we have any voicemails, emails, or comments this week? Hey, we do, but
1: let's take a little break. First, we're going to listen to Second Story Window by Rita Coolidge. I really don't know why it's titled that, but uh, some of the lyrics here that, to me, speak to taking care of, uh, of myself. Live your life however you want to do whatever you want to, and you'll never die. You can do whatever you want to do whatever you want to do. You can try.
3: Live your life however You want to do whatever You want to and you'll never die You can do whatever You want to do whatever You want to do You can try And you know who your friends are You know, so you smile, but they never realize what goes on inside every me and you. Keeps on a rolling on, keeps on a rolling on.
1: We have an email from Jen who writes, "Hi, Recovery Show." First, I want to say thanks for all you do. I love the show and be somewhat lost without you. I recently had to stop attending meetings due to uncontrolled circumstances, so you all are now my primary link to the recovery world. Thank you so much for being there. I also wanted to share a couple of my favorite moments from shows past, some of them I listened to quite a while ago, so I hope my memory is accurate. There was a fairly early episode where you were discussing alcoholism as an illness and boundaries, and Swetha said, and this is not a direct quote, something to the effect of, just because a person is sick doesn't mean that I have to let them sneeze on me. I loved that. Of course, I have used the sick analogy before, but the added element of the sneeze was new to me, and it was such a humorous and spot-on way of saying that boundaries are still okay even when dealing with a sick person. (laughs) Spencer made a comment once about inventing, inventing answers to questions even when he doesn't know the real answer. I had to laugh out loud because this is definitely something I do all the time. I don't know where this compulsion comes from, but I have to know everything and be able to answer any question. I see myself doing it like an out-of-body experience, and think, "Why am I saying this? I don't know if this is true or not, but I do it anyway." Crazy. Three. I just finished listening to "Progress, Not Perfection," episode. Thanks for playing Matchbox Twenty; they've been my favorite band forever, so I loved it. Thanks again for doing this podcast; I love it, Jen. And uh, yeah, Jen, um, I'm really—I've been working on that uh, making stuff up thing, and and I think with the help of my higher power, I do it a lot less often. Uh, You know, I used to be a college professor, so I sort of have this uh, way of saying things that sound very believable, whether they're totally (laughs) made up or whatever. Um, Yeah, out of body. I love that. Uh, Why did I just say that?
2: (laughs) Uh, Next, we have an email from Caroline. She says, I would love to hear a show about healthy ways of supporting the addict during treatment or early recovery. Also, vulnerability. Thanks, guys. To Caroline, that sounds like a great idea, and those are really important topics. Yeah, two great topics.
0: Have we added them to the
2: list yet? Um, if not, I we will. think we did, yes. Okay. Perfect.
0: And then we have an email from Julie. She says, Hi, Spencer, Swetha, and Kelly. Thanks for the great podcast. I listened and re-listened to every episode and hear something new each time. My music suggestion is Mavis Staples' I Like the Things About Me. It reminds me of my journey through the program and self-acceptance. Hope you enjoy it, too. Loyal listener, Julie.
1: You know what? We've got supporting the addict or alcoholic as a topic, but vulnerability we do not have. Oops. Okay. Sorry about that.
0: We will add that on, and uh, Julie will try to incorporate your song into an episode. But if not, um, we can definitely add it to the playlist for maybe today's episode or self acceptance. I'll a lot
1: I'll, of I'll put a, a link to it um, in the show notes today, so Perfect. you can go to therecoveryshow dot com slash thirty nine and and find the song there.
0: Perfect. And then I think we have one more email.
1: We have an email from Brian. Uh, Brian writes, Hi, Spencer. Just finished listening to the Self-Acceptance Podcast. Love the new format. I think you mentioned that it is done live. There's a real authenticity to it, uh, including the use of what I feel is the acceptable use of profanity. The podcasts up to now have been great, almost too great. That <laughs> is, they were so perfect, they almost felt scripted, in a good way. The new format allows a certain kind of imperfection, which to me is the strength of the Alanon program. We had a few new members out at our Tuesday night meeting. Some of the old-timers who I love dearly did a perfect sort of presentation of the program and the key benefits, but it almost had the feeling of some of the Al-Anon brochures. We live in a small town, so it is rare that we get new members. I threw in a couple of swear words as well as a laundry list of some (laughs) of the things that I still have problems with, higher power screwing me over, real resentment toward my loved ones, etc. But I explained to the Al-Anon newcomers that the real power of the program is that it is the tolerance and patience of imperfection in the human condition that the program and its members have of each other. True, quote, my life totally fucked up due to my loved one, but every day becomes less of a clusterfuck. Close, <laughs> quote. The al translation of that is progress, not perfection. Some days are better than others, but it is the commitment to the program and the other members that get me out of my bed in the morning. And sometimes to me, that is the greatest gift of the program. Thanks for reading my letter. Keep up with the real podcast. I'm really hoping that the language doesn't piss too many people off. <laughs> Sincerely, Brian. And uh so I wrote back to Brian. I said, "Man, if you were here when we're recording, uh you would see how not scripted it is." Uh, <laughs> uh but I appreciate the I appreciate the vote of confidence there that it, it I think it just says that we've been you know sort of practicing this thing for a while and and we're getting good at it and uh, I really appreciate that.
0: I gotta say, too, I like Brian's honesty, because I know we talk a lot about how codependency causes us to just want to make everything look good, and we want to smooth everything over, and, you know, sometimes you, you, it's okay to swear. It's okay to be real and, you know, be angry and frustrated and not perfect. So, thanks, Brian.
1: Yeah. And by the way, if you want to listen to us when we're recording, um, mm-hmm. you know, I screwed up this week and did not... Separately, post the time of the recording, but it was in the show notes for the last episode. And you can also um, go to the go to the website at any time. You can click on the listen live link, which is um, in the right hand side of the page near the bottom, and it will take you over to mixler.com and you can favorite our show, and then mixler will send you an email when we're going on. We'll send you a reminder that that if I remember to schedule the show on mixler it'll send you a reminder like the day ahead, and then. He'll send you an email when we start recording. So you can be there. You can listen to us. You can listen to all our imperfections, (laughs) all of the times we stopped and started over that get cut out when I edit the show (laughs) to post it uh, uh, into the podcast. Kelly, you want to read about uh, podcast and website news here?
0: Yes. And just to let everybody know, um, I don't think we have any reviews this week, but iTunes reviews and ratings help to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. If you are concerned about anonymity, you can give us a rating without writing a review and your identity will not be shown. Podcast news, we are thinking about doing an episode titled Hitting Bottom, and I think this came from, <laughs> from my mentioning dispenser after I listened to the, the recovered episode, um, but we would like some feedback from uh, the listener on what was your bottom? Did you reach it before or after you came into the program? And we'd love to include your story if you'd like to share that with us in the episode. You can do that by calling and leaving a voicemail. You can use the voicemail button on the website, or you can send an email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com with your hitting bottom story. And we also wanted to mention tuesday september 24th in ann arbor michigan um there will be a screening of the independently produced film entitled the anonymous people so if you are local and you know local means somewhere in the metro detroit area or i guess even if you want to drive from anywhere in michigan ohio wherever indiana
1: uh, indiana
0: (laughs) who cares canada whatever If you haven't heard of this uh, movie, it's kind of a new movement in AA um, where I think people are sort of discovering that the level of anonymity that we're currently practicing may be preventing people from coming to the program. And it definitely prevents the general public from being educated on what addiction and and, uh, alcoholism really is about. So someone has produced this independent film. It looks really great. The reception starts at 5 p.m., screening starts at 6, and we do not have a a location yet, but we will keep you posted on the website of that. And we are going to include a link to the trailer on the website, which is really powerful. If you have a chance to watch it, please do. If you're local, feel free to attend. It's free, and we're actually going to play the trailer for you guys right now. Um, just to give you a little taste of what's what it's about.
1: And I wanted to say, you know, if you're thinking about coming and you you need to know the details, you can send us an email, and we'll let you know when we have them. Feedback at
0: therecoveryshow.com. There you go.
2: Whether we want to admit this or not, this is our black plague. There's 25 million people that suffer from this illness.
3: We have an epidemic.
2: It's a national crisis
1: that untreated addiction cost our economy over $550 billion last year. It is disgraceful that we have done so little about it thus far.
3: Once you're an addict, you're that thing that they have to have so many people think of addicts as homeless people living under bridges the media
0: is difficult for us to battle against because the negative news about addiction is dramatic you know what we in the media do we wink wink it we snoop dog it hey oh yeah they're stoned that's fine
3: if everyone thinks of alcoholism and addiction as a negative thing no one's going to want to go get help
1: As a culture, we are still very rooted in just say no. Drugs are menacing our society. We're going to try to incarcerate our way out of the addiction problem. Our jails are full of addicts and alcoholics. They're all pulled up in one spot.
3: When you're caught, you will do time. Recovery is what you need, not prison. Hello? Alcoholism has too long been
2: a taboo subject. The
3: shame and secrecy are just as deadly as the disease
1: itself. You're as sick as your secrets, but live the secretive life. People
0: think they can't share with anybody that they're in recovery, and that's not what it's about.
3: Bill Wilson appeared before the Senate subcommittee and gave personal testimony.
1: There are a number of individuals who may hide behind vague rhetoric about anonymity as a spiritual tradition, but the bottom line is they're ashamed.
0: Our numbers are unbelievably
3: strong, but yet we have no voice. We know about every issue out there, but people don't know
1: how important the issue of recovery is. As a person in long-term recovery from an illness that has no cure, but an illness that has a solution. If we could ever tap those 20 million people in long-term recovery, you'd change this overnight. Now it's my turn to teach you that recovery works. History's on our side. History will show one day who and what we are. So I say we make history.
3: The voices are out there. We have to find and open the hearts. And I think those hearts want to be open. I refuse to feel ashamed of who I am. I most certainly will not be embarrassed that I'm an
0: There's a lot of us. Everyone knows somebody.
1: So, yeah, go go watch the trailer because the visuals really add um, to the... uh, to the experience, although the, the, I just heard it uh, on the Recovered podcast uh, when he played it there, and the, the audio was powerful enough, and then the videos really add to it. And, you know, we did uh, an episode on anonymity a while ago, and uh, we talked about, one of the things we talked about was how our anonymity is ours to control, and and to me there's there's sort of three things that anonymity in the program gives to me. One is that I control how much you know about me. I control what I say about my recovery and when I say it. The second is, and this one to me, we've talked about this before, but this one to me is really important, that by being anonymous about what we are, maybe outside of the program, it allows each of us to share openly and honestly our experience, strength, and hope without feeling that maybe somebody else has more authority because hey they're a therapist or whatever or that that we expose ourselves because maybe we're in a place where you know there there really would be an issue if 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 it was known that we were in a recovery program mm-hmm. uh and the third thing the third principle of anonymity which is that we do not represent whatever 12 step program we might be part of uh, that one individual no one individual can come out and say i represent aa or i represent al anon because that protects the program itself and to me those are the critical things about anonymity and if i want to go out there and say you know i'm in recovery from the effects of somebody else's drinking on my life i very or or if i want to go out there it, you know this is not a statement that i can make honestly but if i wanted to go out there and say i am an alcoholic and i am in recovery um, you know, that's mine to do. That is mine to do. And, and yeah, that's my opinion.
0: <laughs> All right. So if you're available, uh, come and watch. should be good.
1: And I think that the movie will be making a tour around the country, um, opening probably in selected theaters. Sure. So, but, yeah. You know, documentaries don't usually stay for a long run. Right. Especially indies.
0: Also, just as a reminder, it doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which currently run about $40 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation basket button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Brian did. We've also put together a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the books link at the top of the page on our website – If you order any of these books from Amazon through our website, we receive a small commission. In fact, you can order anything from Amazon using the search box at the bottom of the books page. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air.
1: And we've also just recently um, signed up with iTunes and we'll be putting iTunes download links for the music we play. And if you buy music through those links, we also get a kickback from iTunes.
0: And how much did we get, Spencer? I don't know that yet. Oh, from Amazon?
1: Oh, Amazon. Oh, yes. Amazon finally paid us out some money this month. We got about 12 bucks. Yeah. Um, so. They pay They pay two months in arrears, and at the end of the month, that's two months later. So we just got paid for purchases made in like April, May, and June or something. Um, and uh, But I'm happy to say that the more people buy, the higher a commission we actually get. They keep oh. ratcheting up the as as people buy more, and so... Um, we'll be seeing some more money flowing in from Amazon, which will help to offset the uh, money that Amazon is charging us because we're using them to actually distribute the podcast from their, uh, their cloud services. Okay. Um, so.
0: Great. Well, thanks, everybody, for your purchases. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. And Jonah, we're going to close the show with uh, your song selection.
2: We are, we are. We're going to close it with uh, Survivor by Destiny's Child. This is a throwback. Um, this was the first song that I thought of when Kelly and Spencer mentioned that we were going to discuss self-care. Uh, the song has always given me a sense of uh, the strength and courage to move forward despite uh, the experience of obstacles or challenges.
3: Now that you're out of my life so much better You thought that I'd be weak without you but I'm stronger You thought that I'd be broke without you but I'm rich
0: Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you're facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. Thought
3: I couldn't breathe without you. I'm inhaling. You thought I couldn't sleep without you. perfect vision. You thought I couldn't last without you. But I'm lasting. you thought that I would die without you. But